You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to the Man Coverage Podcast from Pride of Detroit. My name is Mike Payton. I am your host. I realized last week we had the first show. I got super excited. We had Dan Miller on. I took a whole bunch of notes. I got super prepared for the show and totally forgot to introduce myself last week. So here I am introducing myself this week. I'm Mike Payton. I'll be your host of this show all, all year long. Got another great guest this uh, uh, today, and uh, this is a guy that... I have sort of been in the same orbit with for a while, and that's why I invited you on the show today, Kyle Mikey of M Live. Welcome to Man Coverage. It is uh, it is good to be here, my friends. Um, and uh, yeah, we go way back in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. I I don't know how we never met each other uh, through college or anything like that. Obviously, you went to Grand Valley. That's correct, I believe. Uh, and you lived with Ashley Van Zanten. Is that, that's true, right? Yeah, we got a mutual friend. It was a, um, if I remember right, and this is, you know, a million years ago and uh, yeah. a few, you know, <laughs> but uh, I think I met her through Craigslist. I think I was living with a couple of buddies, uh, one of whom I'm still a good friend with. And uh, uh, we needed an extra roommate. So we just put it on Craigslist and uh, we landed this girl named Ashley, who uh, ended up being a um, mutual friend of ours. Pretty, pretty small world. Yeah, that sounds like Ashley. <laughs> Moving in with somebody from Craigslist, that sounds like Ashley. Yeah, she actually winds up, wound up being a bridesmaid in our wedding. And mm. uh, she's been a friend of my wife's her pretty much entire life. So, yeah, it's just weird how we never, how we never met. But between that and riding in an elevator with Jay-Z and breaking your leg at one of the games. I, I had to have you on because I think there's some great stories there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, man. I, I don't, uh, I love, I'm, I'm glad to be on and, and, and talking to you. I'm love, I love to help out. Um, I always get a little self-conscious talking about myself too. You know, I, I like to make my coverage very, you know, uh, you know, players fo- focused and, and coaches focused, Sure. but I've, I've been on the beat for, this is my eighth year now. Um, and so I've been around a little bit too, and hopefully I can bring something to the table, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to be all right, Kyle. I think we're going to be just fine, but, uh, let's, um, I'm going to start back at the beginning. So now Dan Miller had a Wikipedia page and I was able to use that. (laughs) You, Kyle, unfortunately you don't have a Wikipedia page or at least nobody started one for you yet. Yeah, no, Dan Miller. a little hard for me. (laughs) No no Dan Miller. (laughs) So, uh. I'm curious, you know, where does the Kyle Mikey story start? I mean, uh, you know, where, where are you from? Where, where did this all, where, where, did, where were you born and all this stuff? Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't hopefully get too far into the details. Uh, uh, I don't want to bore people to death, but I'm, I'm from a small town yeah. called, uh, it's like a one stoplight kind of town from uh, a little north of Grand Rapids. Uh, I remember in high school, um, they put a, a Subway sandwich shop inside the gas station. And that was like a big, big deal for my town. <laughs> so that's the kind of place I'm from, you know. Um, but a half hour from Grand Rapids, um, went to Grand Valley State, uh, studied journalism. I, um, I, I was originally going to be a teacher and I went and did a, um, like 10 months or so in um in Europe. I I lived in Berlin for a little bit and I don't know, had this epiphany that I really didn't want to be a teacher for the rest of my life. And I liked writing and I was told I was good at it. So I came back and that's when I switched to journalism and uh, came up from there, man. I went to Grand Valley and started working at um, 
started working at the Grand Rapids Press when I was still in school, which is actually part of the MLive family. So I've actually been with this same company, MLive, in one form or another for my entire adult life going back to college, which I think is very unmillennial like of me. <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm like the only dude of my friends who has only had one job or worked for one uh, employer anyway. And worked my way up from there, man. I, I, I don't want to get too far into the details, but like the, the coolest story I can tell you from my, my career in journalism coming up was I, I, was, uh, I was just a phone kid when I got that, my first job, literally just eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew on Friday nights, taking box scores from high school football games uh, and stuff like that, uh, data entry, answering phones, and that was the extent of it. Once I graduated, they gave me a, a job copy editing, which is basically where you stay up until three or four in, in, in the morning, uh, editing pages and other people's stories and, and building the, the newspaper for the following day. Um, and I, of course, I wanted to write. So I was always in my, in my boss's ear, uh, a woman named uh, Mary Ulmer. And always, I, mean, I just always told her, I'm happy to do whatever you need me to do. Uh, but this is not who I am. I want to be a writer. Um, I want to be, you know, a, a beat writer uh, down the road. And so I was always pestering Mary to to give me assignments. And of course, I mean, this being the newspaper business um, in the two thousands, you know, uh, there's not a lot of money to go around to give people, you know, uh, uh, work sometimes. And so my first many stories that I wrote, almost all were for free. You know, I was working for free for. Um, you know, whenever I, I wrote for a while, uh, doing some stuff around Grand Rapids and, and I did well with those assignments. And um, I remember um, one day, you know, I, we were just talking and I'm like, you know, I, baseball is the sport that I know the most. And I would love to cover a Tigers game and get that experience. And it was a long fight with her to get that assignment. Not that long, I guess. Um, sorry, Mary, if you're listening, but no, but like, it, it, you know, it, it took a little while to come together as these things do. And eventually she was like, okay, just choose... Um, a middle of the week game so that it wouldn't be like deadline implications against a real, sh uh, a real bad team. I don't know what the profanity uh, <laughs> um, yeah, rules are here, but swear away. Kyle. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. It's a real shitty opponent, you know, um, uh, middle of the week. So there wouldn't be deadline implications. And so I chose this Tuesday night game against the Cleveland Indians. Armando Galarraga starting that night, and uh, you probably see where the story is going. It was the the Galarraga perfect, yeah, the imperfect game, and it, it was wild, man. I mean, imagine like, like my biggest assignments to that point had been like you know like local soccer and basketball and football, and I think I got to do like a Michigan State soccer story one time, and uh, you know I'm at a Tigers game and supposed to, there's probably five thousand fans there or something because it's two shitty teams uh, on a Tuesday night. Uh, I think Galarraga was under 500 at that point, if I remember right. Um, and man, it got to be like the fifth inning. I'm like, and I was, so I was there with Steve Kornacki, who was our, um, our Tigers beat writer at the time. And I was in charge of the notebook, which for people who don't know what that is, it, you know, back in the day, anyway, you had a main story and then you had a notebook, which was kind of like just like the items that didn't make the main story. I was in charge of the notebook. And when, once it got to be like the fifth inning and there's still no hits allowed, I'm like, well, Hey, that, like, that's going to be like a natural like softball angle for the notebook of, you know, he took an, a no hitter into the sixth or, or whatever. And it got to be the sixth and it got to be the seventh and it got to be the eighth. And I'm like, like in the eighth inning, I'm like, no matter what happens in this game, uh, I chose the craziest night to start my like, you know, baseball writing career. Um, and then the ninth inning starts and Austin Jackson makes that catch in center field. And I'm like, holy shit, this is going to happen. This is, I mean, you just, you know, I feel like every no hitter has one of those plays and that happened in the ninth inning for the Tigers. And it gets to be the last, the, you know, the 27th guy. And I see Cabrera go to his right for the ball and, and lob it over. And I mean, you could, it's the play is so apparent. You can see that he was out and I see Jim Joyce put up the safe sign. And I knew within a quarter of a second, I knew instantly that I had just covered something that was bigger than a no-hitter, you know, bigger than a, a perfect game because um, there was nothing quite like this, you know. And I was in charge of going into the umpire's room after the game and talking to Jim Joyce. Um, and I didn't know anybody in Detroit media at that time, but I remember now some of the faces that were in there. Larry Lage from the AP was in there. I believe Mike Rosenberg from SI now, he was in there. Uh, a few others. And I mean, there's like four or five of us tops and Jim Joyce is just pacing around and pacing around and just saying, I, I kicked the damn call. I kicked the damn call because by then he had seen the replay and he knew he had, he had blown it uh, and he knew the stakes and everything. It just, it's a day that I'll never remember 
uh, I'll never forget Mike. And uh, it really launched my career in a lot of ways because I, I didn't write good stories out of that game, but I also didn't write bad stories for a young guy who didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, I got, you know, I think fast track in some assignments after that. And less than a year later, uh, Jim Knight from the Ann Arbor News hired me as the uh, full-time uh, Michigan football writer. No full-time writing experience, just free writing on the side um, and landed the uh, full-time Michigan football job. And off I was in my career. And I'm, I'm extremely thankful to Jim Knight and to Mary Almer because without those breaks, I mean, you, you know how it is in this business. It's, you know, it's so hard. You can be completely talented and it can, it can, it can not matter because it's just so competitive. There are so few jobs out there now and a few good jobs that, that actually pay a livable wage, you know, and things like that. I've been extremely fortunate, to, you know, because of some good people in my life. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely know what you're talking about. It is it is definitely a crazy, crazy game to try to be in. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in year six at this point and still trying to, you know, find the right thing for me. But yeah, um, I hear you. Man. I hear you. I wanted to uh, ask you uh, a, a little bit. I wanted to kind of go back to Kent City a little bit. <laughs> if that's all right, I want to go back to Kent City just a tiny bit here. Uh, I do think you are the first person in the history of Kent City, Michigan, to actually say that sentence with those words in that order. (laughs) Now, are are you you a farm kid at all? I mean, I've been out there. It's pretty much farm area, right? Yeah, it's a farm town. It's there's more orchards than like uh, people. I think Um, it's a huge orchard town. But I, um, uh, I was not. My family uh, was not. Farm kids, uh, but uh, I mean, many of my friends were. I, I grew up all around the orchards. I remember like running cross country uh, back when I, you know, ran distances of longer than fifty feet. And um, you know, but, uh, you know, you'd run past orchards. Like I'd pull an apple off the tree and just eat it while running. You know, stuff like that. I mean, real country type stuff. You know. Yeah, that's that is. Uh, I mean, that's like some Smallville type stuff right there. But I, I like it. I like it. Uh, I mean. So you're in Kent City. You're going to you're going to high school out there. Right? And you're going to elementary and all this. And, and you know, kind of when did you when did you when were you first drawn to sports? I mean, what was like when were you like, man, I, I got to write about this. I, I need to get my my thoughts and my feelings out about sports. I mean, when was your earliest inspiration? I, I've probably been into. Uh, I was probably bigger into sports. Um, when I was like seven and I'm up than I am now as a professional guy watching sports, to be quite frank with you. I mean, it, like I, I loved it from a very early age and the people who know me from when I was young would tell you I was a super sports fan. Um, you know, I, I mean, I grew up again in, in West Michigan. So just a big Tigers baseball fan. I remember sitting on my, my family's porch front and like summer nights, my friends would be out playing and I'd just be sitting on the porch listening to Ernie Harbaugh call Tigers games, you know? Um, uh, you know, obviously watching some Lions games, not so much into the Pistons, even though I, I like basketball a lot, but just a big sports fan. And like I said, at the top, you know, I, I've, I've always been drawn to writing and I've, I've enjoyed the process. And I've, I've always been told that, you know, had, a, had an ability for it. Um, so I guess it was natural that, that writing and sports would come together even at a young age. And they did, Mike. I, I remember like going through the halls of my high school, you know, baseball was my best sport. And I remember going through the halls of my high school and I'd like walk up to our star player um, he was like an all, you know, all, um, all state basketball player and the, you know, the whole thing. And I think I have a pencil in my hand and just be like, Hey, Jeff Carlson, you know, like, what do you think of the big game last night? 34 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. And like, you know, just doing the whole mock sports, uh, interview kind of thing. And, um, I, I remember like getting off the school bus and getting the newspaper, which was the Grand Rapids press and reading, you know, I'd open it up. And the first thing I'd read would be Danny Nobler's, uh, baseball stories, the, the tiger stories. And he was the, Tiger's beat writer for the company that I now work for. And it's just pretty interesting to see, to think about those stories sometimes and to see how full circle it it comes. I I remember when it it first hit me, I was doing, um, it was actually on my birthday. I can't remember the year though, just a couple, you know, a few years ago at this point. Uh, And I was in a charity basketball game. It was like, you know, like former Lions players versus media personalities or whatever. And I remember like at the start of the game, I'm um, guarding Herman Moore at the three point arc. And I, it just hit me like in the middle of that thing. I'm like, I, I literally grew up watching this guy on TV and like being seven years old and idolizing Herman Moore and and and, uh, and Barry. And now Herman Moore is draining a three pointer in my eye. And, and it's just it's pretty crazy to see full circle. It's come from a you know for a kid from a one stoplight kind of town. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I had a pretty similar experience with Herman Moore myself. I, I covered the uh, the Lions versus the the fraternal police uh, for our local newspaper, and yeah, getting getting to stand next to him with, and you know, I've I've talked to Matthew Stafford. I've talked to many of the guys that are on the team now, and I've met you know uh, national sports personalities at Lions camps and at games and stuff. And I I've never been more. Uh, 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 starstruck than I was with Herman Moore. Oh, he's great too, it's, isn't he? He's a really good. Oh, guy. Such a nice guy. Uh, and I met Lomas Brown that day as well. And also, Lomas was a very nice guy as well. And now, now Lomas is somebody that you just see every day. Uh, since he's got that radio job now, I believe. Uh, yeah. Well, not now, I guess. You don't see him every day now because it's weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I kind of want to delve into that a little bit more. Uh, something you brought up there, you know. And I could sort of attest to it as well. It, I've been covering the Lions for for six years, and and since I've sort of gotten inside the building and kind of seen how the sausage has been made, and it 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 does kind of it does kind of uh, hurt your love of sports a little bit. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that it's it's just? I mean, I still love sports, but it's different now. Yeah, it's different. I would never say it hurts. At least not for me. I, I think some people would say that they'd look at you know the way I was passionate about it when I was young and the the way that that passion has changed to now, which is where you don't care at all about what happens with the teams. Um, you know, they, they might say that, you know, it's, it's, there's some diminishment there, but I wouldn't, I would just say it's changed. I, I love what I do. Uh, I, I feel like I haven't, I'm 34 years old and I feel like I haven't worked a day in my life. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. Um, and a big, a big reason for that is because I'm covering sports. It's, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's challenging. It's competitive, but you're right. You're, I think what you're asking is, you know, the rooting interest that you have when you're young does fade um, the way you think about the game. Once you see how that sausage is made, once you're around it all the time and you see people come and go and, and everything else, um, you know, the, you, you become dispassionate real quickly. It's, it's not even a force thing. It's not like I got a Michigan football job and I was a Michigan sports fan when I was young, when I was a kid, it's not even like I walked into that job and I'm like, okay, I have to not be a Michigan fan now. It, it just happens. Like you, you just think about it in a totally different context. You do see sometimes, um, you, occasionally you see writers, journalists who are fans of the team they cover, but I just find it to be very uncommon. Um, and I think the best journalists, at least writers who are, are covering sports, they tend to, do, they, they tend, tend to have that dispassion about what they're covering, even if they have the interest in sports, they, they just don't have the, you know, the rooting interest. Threats to our nation waiting around every corner. Adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that necessarily my rooting interest has gone away, but just the, um, you know, being around different, you know, these different head coaches and just, you know, and getting to know players really was the biggest change for me because I, I think that, um, you know, you, you start to realize that these people aren't superheroes anymore. You know what I mean? It's, it really, it, it somewhat takes the sheen off of it when you, when you get to know that these are just real people who just happen to excel in that you know, and athletics, it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Like how many real world problems these guys have, like it's, they might have the millions of dollars, at least some of them, uh, they might have the fame, you know, they might be on TV or whatever. And it's amazing to talk to some of these guys, especially the guys you get close with and realize how, how regular their, their problems are, their, the things that are bothering them, the things they go through. It's just stuff that you and I go through just on a totally different scale. Um, and it does, you know, it humanizes them, I think, in a lot of ways. And again, I think that lends itself to good writing is once you can understand the human element of what these guys are going through, the ups and downs and what it means for their lives. You, I think you can just write so much better as opposed to say, you know, if you walk into a job and you're rooting for a guy to do well, and he does poorly, like you just come at it from a, a totally different vantage point. 
Um, I kind of want to go into something that, and and you can cut me off here. You know, don't don't be afraid to, Kyle. Uh, but like I, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand what it's like to be a beat writer. You know, I, I know for my for myself, I'm I'm you know I'm a columnist. I I do like one or two three pieces a week. I come out to camp maybe three times a year. I'll go cover maybe three uh, away games or something like that. Um, I don't think that people really know that that this is like almost a 24 hour uh, a day job. And I just wonder, I've often wondered, and again, you can cut me off here. I mean, what does that do to kind of your personal life? Yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. I mean, cause you're right. And I'll start with the, you know, the good because I, I love my job and I don't want to just, uh, you know, just bash it. Um, you know, I get, you know, because I cover football, I get tons of time off in the summertime, when they're not in session, you know, there's, there's tons of flexibility Get to travel with the team. Uh, you know, I've gotten to see this entire country, I've gotten to go to London a couple of times. I've gotten to do all kinds of things and meet all kinds of people. Um, and kind of just tell stories and that's been my life. And that's an unreal <laughs> job to have. And I, I'm totally grateful, but to your point, it is difficult. It's a grind. Um, there are other jobs in sports that are easier. Beat writing is probably, to my knowledge, the hardest. And when you're covering a team that's won one playoff game since like the Truman administration, um, you know, it, it grinds on you. I, I think the Mondays are, are the worst, um, you know, like just Mondays after a loss. And, and you saw it this week again. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just you get deja vu. I think I wrote a story last year about how it was like Groundhog's Day. And I, I'm going to have to bust out the Groundhog's Day part two at some point uh, column because it's, it's, it's the spin cycle sometimes with this team. Um, and to your point about time, it is you're always on call. I, I have literally written stories on my phone uh on dates at a at, at dinner uh, i've written i've been at a concert in the middle of a concert writing a, a story on my phone i remember a couple of michigan guys getting suspended when i was still on that beat and writing the story from the backseat of my car um you know it's it's wild because it's you know it happens and uh i'm thankful i've got you know you know, help on the, on the M live beat with Ben Raven. Um, and so between the two of us, you know, sometimes the, the backseat of the car, um, story doesn't happen quite as much anymore. Um, but you know, it never had a, we're talking right now and I can get a text, uh, from people or I can get uh, national alerts and those get sent to my phone from certain folks who break a lot of Lions news. Uh, and that means I have to snap into action no matter what I'm doing, what movie I'm in the middle of, uh, Who's over if if it's Christmas time? Like you know, my poor mother, she's great, but you know, like she hasn't seen me for a Thanksgiving since like 2012, and I come over uh, for Christmas and some news breaks, and I have to pull out the laptop. And no one understands it more, more than my mother, but that's just the nature of beat writing, and you have to be on top of it all the time. Uh, it's a great job, and I'm 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 so thankful I've gotten to do it for seven years. Uh, I'm going into an eighth, very weird year, but still thankful to be covering football and to be going to Lambeau Field this this weekend. But you know, there's a lot of pressure that goes with it, hard deadlines, especially out of games, and obviously the you know never made, being able to really fully disconnect it um, can take a toll. Yeah, I mean that's you know. Uh, I, I got it. I got. I don't think people do it enough, Kyle. But I got to commend you. I mean, I know that you guys, you guys work hard. I know you work hard. And you know, we thank you for for you know everything that you guys do. It makes. I appreciate, you know, that, please never, I appreciate that, but please never thank me for doing something I totally love. And I'm I'm very okay. <laughs> fortunate right. guy. Yeah. I just I'm a fortunate guy to be where I am, and I I am I. All of my friends heard this story a million times. My family, like, I'm just, a th I'm a very thankful dude to have come from where I did and get the breaks that I did to have the job that I do now. And I don't take that for granted, even if I'm, I'm in the middle of a concert, uh, a couple deep, um, you know, uh, a couple drinks deep, uh, writing out, uh, you know, some uh, story Adam Sheffers just tweeted out, you know, um, you know, that's just the price you pay sometimes to do this job. Sure. Um, I want to talk about another price that you pay. Now, we got to talk about the leg, Kyle. I, I'm sorry, man. We got to do it. <laughs> uh, now, this happened. This happened in what? Green Bay, right? Or was it Wisconsin? Or I mean, not Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota. It was Green Bay, um, and okay. it was this past year, but the year before that. And what's funny is you're asking this question just days before we go back to Green Bay, and I'm actually staying oh, in the same. Happens. So, uh, knock on knock on some wood with that one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, this happened. Now, I'm guessing this happened after a game. Now, I can tell you from from my experience coming out of games. Uh, like again, this is another thing I don't think people who who watch the game understand. Like, yeah, the game ends at like four o'clock. But you guys, I mean, I know I go back upstairs. I'll write a piece, maybe two, and I'll be like the first one to leave. But you guys are there till like nine o'clock at night. So I would imagine that you're coming out of Lambo, right? And and uh, and everything's chained off. It's completely dark. They turn off all the lights. There's no security around. There's no nothing. You, you got to find your sale. You got to find your way out of the stadium. Is that correct? Yeah, and we can talk about the foot, but there's more stories there too, like. I, like Green Bay and Minnesota and and Chicago aren't too bad because you go there every year and I know those stadiums pretty well. But you go to some of these road stadiums and you're leaving pretty late and it's the setting you just set up. And uh, you don't always know where you're going. And I, I've definitely been locked in stadiums before. And and the worst was actually Kinnick Stadium forever ago when I was still covering uh, Michigan football and they played at Iowa. And I remember doing two walks all around the stadium could not find the way to get out eventually i went down into the stands into like the bowl of the stadium and like yelled in all directions to like just like wait basically basically to like a security guard and eventually i was able to get out i've climbed the the fence at metlife stadium in new york i've climbed the fence uh last year year before uh when we were in philly yeah last last year because it was in uh i had gone out the wrong door and was boxed in uh it's been it's been weird lambo though to your question um i know that same a little bit better so like yeah i'm i'm leaving and i uh am like closing up shop basically but uh thankfully i know which door is unlocked <laughs> yeah so i i mean it, it is it is straight i i can't speak to to getting lost in it. well in houston um i could i i wound up on the concourse trying to get myself out i couldn't figure out how to get out but luckily there was security still there by the way houston i learned a valuable lesson that you've probably learned already wear comfortable shoes uh, yeah because I wore nice dress shoes and my heels were more torn up than they had ever been in my entire life. I mean, they were bleeding. Yeah, I was walking <laughs> through the airport with bloody socks the next day. But okay. All right. So you're leaving, you're leaving Lambo. What happened? How did it happen? Yeah. So I went back, I um, went back to the hotel. I can't remember if I was with Justin Rogers or not from the Detroit news. Um, but we were both for sure staying in the same hotel. Um, and so we definitely met up. We were going to finish our writing. So we had stayed, I don't remember the time in Green Bay, uh, what it was, but we, it was the last game of the season. It was, it was the finale from two years ago. And we had gone back to our hotel uh, with a couple more stories to write. That Sunday to Monday turn, is, you know, it's just, it's a lot of work. You're constantly writing and, and, uh, and so forth. And especially when you travel um, because you've got the, the flight and the airport trip and all that stuff in there too. And you're trying to make it back to Detroit for a, uh, you know, for a press conference. Um, so it's just a, t- it's a tight window. You're always working. And we had gone back to our hotel, but had, I had, a, I think I had two more stories to write. I think Justin had one. Um, and the lobby in our hotel, uh, wasn't very comfortable to work in. So we actually walked from our hotel to a neighboring hotel. I mean, like maybe it was a hundred yards. It was probably less, you know, through a parking lot, um, to this other hotel and had a glass of wine, uh, was just, you know, knocking out some work in the lobby. Justin left before I did not that long before I did maybe a half hour or something, but I just had a little more work to do. Um, and it was not snowing, but had been snowing earlier that day. And to walk from that hotel to the other, you know, back to where I was staying, you had to walk down this like snowy embankment and then through a parking lot. And I just kept thinking to myself, don't fall on this like snowy embankment. Like that would be, be bad news. Uh, and so I was very careful. I kind of like, did the pitter patter with your feet down the hill. Uh, and I made it and I got to the bottom of the hill, took like maybe one or two steps and I just stepped on like pure ice. And, uh, I was wearing dress boots and there's no like given the ankle. And I think that's what made it so bad because I just slipped on the ice. There's like nothing more to the story than that. And I fell and it happened so fast. And like, I knew it was bad cause it hurt, but like, I didn't know how bad. And I went to stand up just to like, you know, measure the damage. And I sat immediately back down cause I saw my foot was like, fo- my foot was like pointed in the wrong direction. 
you know, like I had broken both of the bones at the bottom. I had like broken apart that like ball in the ankle. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, my surgeon said he, he was impressed, which I don't think is what your surgeon is supposed to say about your break. Um, but it, it's funny cause it's, it's, it's December 30th, 31st. Um, yeah, it's December 30th. Uh, it's cold. It's Green Bay, right? Like I'm starting to shake. I thought it was from the cold, but it was probably just from shock. And I pulled out my phone because Justin Rogers was staying in that same hotel. And that was my first reaction was just to call Justin because he was someone I knew and someone I'm, I'm close to. And he was he was close to me. Um, and I called him and I always give him give him crap about this, but I called him and he answers the phone. <clears throat> And I'm like, hey, so the first thing I told him was, okay, this is not a joke because we joke and we give each other crap all the time and, and say ridiculous things. So I, the first thing I said was like, this is not a joke. This is for real. Uh, I fell in the parking lot. I think I broke my leg. Uh, I need to go to the hospital. Justin's like, okay, I'll be right there. Give me like 10 minutes. I'm in the shower right now. <laughs> Justin, in the shower. That's beat companionship right there, I think. But he comes over. Uh, I actually ordered an Uber because I didn't know, you know, we're in the in the U.S. You don't always know what's going to happen with your health insurance, with like uh, ambulances and stuff. So I just I, I, I got the Uber and I called the Uber driver right away before she even got there. I'm like, listen, this is going to be super unusual. But, you know, I'm I think I broke my leg. If you're just real patient, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'll give you a nice tip or whatever. Went to the hospital and sure enough, like I said, yeah, it was pretty, pretty messed up and uh, had to fly back the next morning with the rest of the guys uh, to Detroit. And that was, that was quite the experience. And uh, yeah, I was out for a few months after that. And that, that was the, that was the story. I mean, is, is there a better week to do it though? Week 17? I mean, you don't have to travel. From to, a work you know, perspective, the- there's not. But from a, from a personal perspective, like, you know, you like, Again, I get tons of flexibility in my schedule to live my life in the off season. I'm thankful for that. But the price that I pay and that we all pay in this job is that you work all the time during the season. You're always on. You work every day. So it's like I got to the end. I got to the finish line, like past the finish line. I'm in the lobby of the hotel, like writing my last stories of the season. I'm about ready to have like days off again and some life and, uh, you know, see my friends. And all of a sudden I'm like in a quarantine in my house for two months or whatever, because you know, my, my leg is busted and I had to have surgery. Uh, so I didn't miss much work because of it, but also I felt like I, you know, paid a, paid a price for it as well. Oh man, that is, oh jeez. All right, well, Kyle, I want to talk uh, lions with you, but first we got to take a quick break. Okay, welcome back to uh, Man Coverage. I am with Kyle Mikey of M Live. Uh, he just told us some great, great stories from his uh, his career. And right now, we're going to talk a little Lions, which I know everybody wants to talk about right now. So, Kyle, let's just kind of let's just kind of jump right into it. I mean, what happened? What happened on Sunday? What's going on? <laughs> well, we've all seen the movie before, right? Like, I don't, I don't have right. anything breaking news. It's another. Um, you know, it's another, it's, I mean, just another poor, a poor, another poor finish. Like, and it's hard to understand because we've seen it repeatedly from this team, including on opening days. We saw it uh, almost every week last year in one way or another. I mean, they led in, I think it was 15 games last year. And uh, you go out there uh, all off season, building this roster around finishing. You, you talk about dagger time uh, in practice. And I mean, I was out there in training camp. They repped situational football, end of the games. I think damn near every day, if not every day, you know, Matthew Stafford said it after the game that he thinks um, they practice situational football more than any other team. And I've never covered another NFL team, so I have no comparison, but I know this team practices end of the game situations. They'll put a certain amount of time on the clock, you know, maybe down by three or down by four, uh, damn near every day. And you can hear dagger time, dagger time. And, um, and, and they didn't finish on opening night. They, they let, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, a guy that's killed you before, throw three touchdowns in nine passes. Um, and and then, of course, the drop uh, uh, from the kid, DeAndre Swift, uh, to finish it off. I mean, it's like, honestly, like, be able to believe it, Mike, 
Except if you've watched Lions football before, like if you've watched Lions football, like you know exactly what to expect. It, it, it's 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 really it's uh like I don't believe in like being snake bit. I don't believe in like uh, being cursed. Like I just I do think it's like you know it like your your fate is not predestined. I don't believe that in that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think the players believe it either. But like there is definitely a culture to this team, and that culture right now, uh, based on the way they've finished, is a team that can't finish a, a team that loses big games. And here you see in week one, and I guess that's outside of the injuries in the defensive backfield. Um, that's like my biggest concern going forward is the mindset of this team that, that you spent all off season trying to shed this inability to, to, to finish. Uh, and then you go right out there in the in week one and you do what everyone's expecting you to do. You fall on your face. Um, and that's got to hurt the psyche. And I, I, don't, I don't know, like being able to regroup that team in six days with the injuries they have and the, the you know, problems they have all over the defense and seeing Aaron Rodgers, that's, I mean, it's a really difficult place for the Lions to be right now, like not only physically, but with the, in the psyche of this team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to rebound from something like this, but I mean, I, I think that, you know, this is something that um, it just seems so simple, you know, uh, just don't be conservative. What, you know, like you, you, you put out a, a thing called dagger time and you hang a big banner in the stadium, which I thought was a, a bit, uh, you know, a bit too fast to, to do something like that. But um, it, I just don't understand it, it. I guess, you know, Matt Patricia, when you try to bring up that problem with him, his response is to tell you about how his, he had a great play with Malcolm Butler. And it's just frustrating. Um I mean, do you think that these guys get it? Do you, do you think that they really get it? Or, or do you think that they think everything's okay? I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard for, for fans to really understand why they can't do something so simple. They, uh, the Lions definitely get the problem. There's such a difference between like how players play and feel and then what they say and the same for coaching. Like when someone is doing an interview 99 times out of all, they're trying to tell you the things that, they can tell you that won't rock the boat and will get them out of the interview as quickly as possible. And that's why you develop relationships that so you can get, you know, more at the honest answers and understand better about what's actually happening behind the scenes. And that will inform your writing. And that's something that happens over time. Um, but like, you know, when Patricia goes out there, and he, I think the worst thing he said in that interview, and he met Patricia has been much better as a, you know, with the, with the interviews and the public facing part of his job. Um, but yeah, that was the worst thing that he had said in that post-game interview was that, you know, I've, I've been here before and I had, you know, the, one of the biggest plays in the fourth quarter ever because nobody really cares about what happened a million years ago for a team that's trophy, you know, th th their, their trophy case is completely full. And you're in Detroit, you've won one playoff game um, uh, in six decades. Um, you know, it's, it's what you've done lately. It's what you've done here and they haven't done anything and they, and they haven't done anything because they keep making, you know, they keep losing the same way. I mean, they, we saw uh, the same thing in week one last year um, and they lose the same way. Um, and so that was the worst thing he had said, Mike. And I understand, I completely understand the frustration that fans have, that people have uh, when he says something like that, because you didn't see that championship, at least not in Detroit. Um, you just saw more losses. I mean, this guy's won nine games and now, you know, two plus years. Um, but it, like, I, like I said, I, I just wouldn't, I understand why it frustrates fans, but it's not like he's going back to his meeting room and thinking, oh, well, I have the biggest play in the fourth quarter ever, um, or one of the biggest defensive plays in the fourth quarter ever. So I don't have to really care about what happened against the Bears. That, everyone knows. Like he, he just said something that he probably, you know, sh either shouldn't have or certainly, you know, came off in a way that he didn't mean. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that from, from, from a psychological type thing, you know, everybody's coming down on you. You probably want to defend yourself. I, I mean, I give him that pass. I, 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 I understand it. I, I get why he would say that. Um, but, you know, I kind of want to talk about that just a tiny bit more here. So, so nine wins, like you said, nine, 23 and one things couldn't have started off worse. Uh, do you think now, now, obviously this is overreaction, right? This is totally an overreactive question. Do you think Patricia's long for 2020? I mean, do you think that this is a guy that's going to coach this team the entire year if if stuff like that keeps happening? Because realistically, you go into Green Bay this Sunday against a team that just scored 43 points. Um, you've got Kyler Murray the next week, and then you got Drew Brees the week after that. I mean, 
in four weeks, we could be looking at an 0-4 football team. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, he was on the hot seat coming into the season. I think the Ford family made that, made that clear, even if they were ambiguous in how they did it. But obviously, expectations are rising. You can't be in the process for forever. These guys took over a nine-win football team now three seasons ago. I mean, you can't run this process for forever. So you have to win at some point. And if you're 0 and 4, 0 and 5, 1 and 6, whatever, uh, you know, like this is the NFL. Coaches get fired for that. And there's the, the the first person who would tell you that if he wasn't on the record is Matt Patricia. I, I mean, he knows the deal. He's not clueless. Like he knows that, this, that he's running short on time. At some point, he has to show that the process is yielding some fruit and that this team is getting closer to – competitiveness and and remember when he came in it wasn't even about making the lines competitive they were already competitive it was about making them a consistent yearly contender for championships that was the bar they set themselves and um i, I mean we're you know two plus years now and nine wins later uh you have to at least at some point show your stuff and that you're getting someplace and if you don't if you're 0 4 or 0 5 uh yeah it's possible i really don't know um how COVID will affect that though. Like what, what the procedure is like for bringing in new coaches, um, everything that goes into getting in the building these days, let alone like practicing and flying across the country. Like that make, that might make personnel changes more difficult. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, and of course they can win football games too. And we've, I mean, obviously things have not worked out with Matt Patricia, but he has beaten, he housed Tom Brady two years ago in that really bad team. They crushed the Patriots. Like they, they, they the, the Packers went 13 and three last year and the lines didn't trail for a second, either of those games. Um, they, they've won good games before. They took Kansas city to the wire last year. Like, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, they beat, they won in Philly. Like, they, you know, they've played, Matt Patricia's had some of his best game plans against some of the best teams they've faced. So I wouldn't necessarily be totally shocked if they shocked us by going out there into Lambeau or against Drew Brees in a couple of weeks or something and won a game they weren't supposed to, which of course would give him the latitude that he needs to, to see this season through. But uh, I think the bottom line to your question is, is that they have to win football games this year and not just three, uh, maybe not even just six and, and survive. They have to, they have to be competitive and obviously um, you know, they were competitive in week one, but lost in a terrible way. And if you keep playing that way against Aaron Rodgers, you're going to get crushed. Yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting thing. And, um, you know, and I, I I picked this team to be 11 and five. I was super high on on how I, I believe I believe that they were united. Um, I watched that team, you know, uh, through a TV screen, mind you, uh, in camp. I watched that offense perform and just do these things that. I thought we we're going to make them uh, elite, and um, and it's only week one. You know, I, I I guess at the end of the day, you really have to just remember that it's only week one. We'll see where it goes. Um, well, there was a lot of things to like, and I I think that gets lost sometimes in overreaction Monday or whatever. And when you lose absolutely. as many games badly as they have in the past couple of years, this one hurts even more because it just it feels like more of the same after you've been fed eight months of positive storylines and eight months of optimism why they can win this year and hey i picked them to go 10 and 6 so i was with you in the optimistic camp and maybe that was my error in the you know my eighth go around of doing this maybe i should have known better but i looked at i saw that offense every day mike and i didn't see a team that was not going to be competitive you know like you if you're going to score that many points uh with matthew stafford and kenny galladay and marvin jones and and uh, you know I, I wrote repeatedly that tj hawkinson was primed for a breakout and i know fans don't always want to see that because you know there's i think there's you know, there's still some resentment about where he was drafted. And of course he didn't play well enough as a rookie. Um, but I go out there every day to practice and would see him catching balls, 30, 40 yards downfield. And they get into the red zone. And I think, I, I think Stafford might've gone to Hawkinson more than anybody, Kenny Galladay included. And if it wasn't more, it was certainly equitable. Um, and I didn't see all that Mike and think this team is going to lose or is going to win five games. Um, for me, the, the wild card's always been how good is the defense going to be? Can they cover anyone? Can they rush the quarterback? And if they can do that stuff competently, as in like average, I thought they were going to be 10 and six based on their schedule and how good the offense is going to be. But obviously that didn't happen in week one. You know, you lost your three, you know, three of your top four cornerbacks. You couldn't defend the pass. Uh, you have, you know, uh, McCray out there uh, and a clutch situation um, guarding a guy who, who beat you for a touchdown on Thanksgiving last year in the exact same spot, in the exact same situation uh, and, and got beat again. And 
that for me was the, maybe the ultimate irony is that after all this talk about how things are going to be different and, and dagger time, you got beat on the same route by the same guy at the same part of the field in the same end zone in the same stadium uh, against the same team. It, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's frustrating. And I, I can feel that. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to laugh. <laughs> you know, it's hard not to uh, <laughs> maniacally laugh, you know, like it's, it's just, it is, it's unbelievable. But yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand Lions fandom. Like, I, I kind of do because I'm around it, and I talk to Lions fans all the time. But like, to be able to root for a team that perpetually breaks your heart in like inventive ways, but always kind of the same ways. Like, I don't know. There, there's got to be like a gallows humor to it all because you're you're rooting for the guys you know are going to lose, and and they never prove you wrong. <laughs> I was talking. Hard. I was I was talking with uh, James Edwards, um, Pistons writer for the Athletic. Uh, the other day, and I explained it like this, and this is going to be maybe I don't know, maybe a tad bit vulgar. I to me, to me, it's like remember when you were like 15 years old and you were still a virgin, and and you know you struck out like over and over and over and over again. I don't know. You you look like freaking Dermot Moroni. You probably had no problem with the greens, but uh, my, I don't get the reference. But I can tell it's a compliment, and I'll say thank you. Like, <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, all right. You look like uh, somebody who's been on a soap opera before. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so. Uh, like when you know you strike out a bunch of times, and and then finally you know you meet you meet uh, you meet your one basically, and you 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 know uh, you do it, and it's glorious. And I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is for Lions fans. It's this idea of if I jump off the ship now, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss it. Like they're gonna win the Super Bowl as soon as I stop being a fan of them, and I won't be able to be there for the day in the sun. I won't be able to be there for the unbelievable orgasmic like moment for when the lions finally hoist that trophy. So I think that's what it is. That's, that's at least, you know, that's my personal opinion. Does that make sense? I, I'm not going to quite touch that one. <laughs> I understand your take though. Um, you know, I, I have to say like, I, um, I, I like it. I like, I like lions fans. Like I don't like that my Monday mornings after losses all the time, but there's a culture to Lions fandom that is special. And I, and I want, like, I, I get asked a lot on, like, national radio interviews or when I travel to Super Bowl week or when I go to these different things, like, nationally. And people are all, like, they, there's an expectation nationally that because the Lions suck every year that nobody cares. And I, I have to say repeatedly, like, they, it's the opposite. People care so much. You should see the airport at the Detroit gate at the Detroit gate after an away game. Like, like everyone's in, like they, they look shit, you know, sad as shit, but they're like, there's like some sort of like, uh, you know, like culture to it, uh, like a shared suffering. And, uh, you know, when I, when I fly to and from games and talking to lions fans or, uh, obviously in tailgates, like I, I, I bike to all the games. I, I live in Detroit, so I can bike to all the games and obviously there's no tailgates right now, but I, I love zigzagging through and just talking to people and stuff. And, um, it's different than when you go to like a Cardinals game and people are just like, you know, drinking beers on like their fake grass outside that stadium. And like they, they, they care obviously, but the care is a, a totally different way. Like it's easy being a Patriots fan. It's easy being a, a Packers fan or a Steelers fan. It's not easy being a Lions fan. You have to pay a price. You pay a dues like to be a Lions fan. And I think because you bought in, uh, in that way with your, <laughs> emotions and your well-being and your mental health uh it, honestly I, I believe that like there's something special about lions fans and how they care about their team that i don't necessarily sense in other teams and the thing i say nationally with these people uh national reporters and so forth is that when detroit makes a run i mean not even the super bowl if they ever play in an nfc championship game the roof is coming off detroit and the roof does not come off of Boston when the Patriots are doing, are doing well. Of course, they cheer and they get drunken bars and everything else, but there's an energy and a, like a like a built up pen, you know like frustration that that will be let out uh, when that day arrives, um, whether it's this year or next year, hundred years from now. And uh, I hope I'm around for it because it's going to be special. Yeah, and no, I I totally agree with you. Uh, and I and I've been to several. You know, I was at that Stafford sneak game. And I've been to other stadiums around around the NFL, not as many as you, obviously, but uh, I, I've never been in a louder stadium than that moment. And 
and I know that Lions fans, you know, they, they this is love. It's it's not just um, something that they just like to do. I mean, they they love this team. I, I think like any uh, like no other. So, but uh, you know, I know you got to get out of here. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run you through our lightning round. But first, I want to take a quick break. to uh, man coverage i'm mike payton i have kyle meinke from m live today and we are going to put him through our patented lightning round and these are some questions that i've devised everybody's going to have to answer the same questions dan miller did pretty good on his last week we're going to see now how kyle does on our lightning round kyle are you ready for this i guess so i think i should have listened back to dan's interview first <laughs> All right. it's 10 questions some of them are football related other ones aren't uh, all right, let's get you started. Your first question. So what are you watching right now? What what TV show are you into? What are you streaming? What do you got going on? Well, I'm a little busy in my life, and uh, there's a lot of negativity in my life right now. <laughs> you know, I'm a Detroit Lions beat reporter, so and I, I live on Twitter, so it's there's a lot of negativity. Uh, negativity. So I actually, I've been watching a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm and it's like, you know, it's, it's irreverent comedy, like, you know, and, uh, just the craziest shit is always happening to Larry David. Um, but he's so likable when he comes, you know, likable in an unlikable kind of way or something. Uh, I identify with that humor and it's alleviating, uh, with everything that's going on in my life. So I, I've been pounding some Curb lately. Nice. Yeah. That, I mean, that, Larry David is a genius. You got to love Seinfeld. You got to love Curb. That's a great choice. Uh, who is your favorite football player ever? Do you have one? Favorite ever? I mean, like growing up like as a fan or to cover or? Um, it could it could be either way. Just somebody that you have really enjoyed watching throughout your life. Yeah. I mean, it could, you know. Yeah. It could be Mike Fury. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you three. I'll run through three names. So when I took over, um, I remember, the, I think one of the first conversations, not the very first, but one of the first was with Nate Burleson and I was new and I was just introducing myself to him and he's uh, like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So he's like, I didn't even have to ask uh, for tips or whatever. And he's like giving me tips almost on like, you know, what, what it's like to be around an NFL team. And what, like the first thing that guy told me is like, oh man, like congrats on the gig. Like, yeah, this must, this must be pretty cool. Like I'm telling you right now, you're going to see Calvin Johnson do things on this practice field that, you, that you've never seen a human do before anywhere. And it was so true. Like that first season, especially when I'm getting broken and I was, I mean, covering Michigan football, that's a huge uh, national brand, but like, you know, covering any, any, any NFL team, the level of play is going to go up. And all of a sudden I'm standing in front of Calvin Johnson, watching him, you know, do superhuman things. I mean, super casually on the, on the practice field over and over again. And it was just incredible to watch just as a, a feat of, um, you know, of athleticism. Um, in terms of guys in the field and games that I've watched in my career, I, I just, I really particularly enjoyed watching Golden Tate because he was really good. I liked that his, his playing style was very inventive. And, and I think more than fans know, like, like there was a lot of work that Stafford and Golden Tate had to put in because Golden Tate was inventive and creative with his route running. And they weren't always in sync early on, at least in practice. Uh, and I'm telling you, like, the inventiveness drove his coaches a little crazy sometimes, too, because he'd go off script. But obviously, we see how good he was in games. Um, and, uh, you know, so I really, I really like watching that, uh, him for that reason. And also the, just the showmanship, you know, just the little dances on the field, walking in, you know, into the end zone for a touchdown in the middle of the field like, on Thanksgiving one year. Like, I, I just as a guy who watches has to watch football every week, like it's just fun to see guys make it their own. Uh, and then in terms of like personality, Mike, I really enjoyed covering Graham Glasgow, uh, Graham Glasgow. And I guess I can say that now cause he's in Denver and I won't look like I'm playing favorites, but like, he's just a good dude. And I know that he's close to some of the pride guys. So you, maybe, you know, him or maybe you don't, but, um, but he is just the most regular person you've ever met who does these things superhuman things uh i mean i've been to his house for a, a story like he's got the most regular looking house you've ever seen like it was year four at that point he had cashed in i think maybe four million dollars by that point and he has a condo that you or i could be living in in ann arbor like 
I mean, around the corner from where he was playing his college ball. And I just always respected that, that like he was just a dude who happened to be really good at this thing, but just read a letter of regular life. And he's really smart. And I really appreciated his, his sense of humor. Um, I would say, I would say those three are my favorites. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a pretty good three right there. Uh, and Graham, you know, uh, Graham is hilarious. It was sad to oh, see him go. Yeah. Don't believe me. Same. I actually just texted him good luck the other week, uh, last week, you know, going into the opener and stuff and, uh, made me miss him because he made a couple of jokes and I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> all right. This, this next question, I, I know the answer to this one already. We all know the answer to this one. Dogs or cats? Oh, come on. Come on. I'm not going to waste your time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me just go ahead and move on. Uh, <laughs> no, I love dogs. I would love a dog someday, but I've got a cat and I happen to have the best cat in the world. Uh, offense meant on that. You know, I, I don't know if you have a cat or not, but my, my dude. I do. Uh, I love him. I think he's better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's, what's your favorite movie? This one's always hard for people. Oh, man. But I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one, and then like later on, I'm going to think of one that's better, uh, and I'm gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive me crazy. But I guess uh, in the moment, um, I guess I would say Pulp Fiction, um, because I really like Tarantino. I, I like that you can see any movie of his and not know it's his, and you can know that it's his, because it's, his style is like so him, but also so authentic, you know, and just the soundtrack, like... Uh, Everything about that movie, the you know the five dollar milkshake conversation. I I don't know. I I could watch that movie every day. I, I swear. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean that's that's a good choice. It's it's definitely a top movie for I think a lot of people. Uh, it's just great. Uh, all right, so I'm going to put you through a little bit of little scenario here. I'm going to change this scenario on people last every week. It's going to be different. Uh, okay, so you got thirty seconds left in the game. I'm going to put you on the fifty. All right, 30 seconds left. That gives you what? Maybe time for two plays. You got no timeouts, okay? 30 seconds, no timeouts. You're on the 50. You got to win the game. What do you think you're running? Oof. Uh, can I pick and, my players? Oh, no, no, that's the other thing. Hold on. You, you have, uh, you're the 2008 Lions, and you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and let's see. Hold on. Let me pick the quarterback. You're Drew Stanton. I think I would just take two knees and end my misery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's, I would probably do that too. Yeah. That's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, Dukes aside, Calvin's on that team. So I'm throwing two shots to Calvin. There wasn't, the cupboard was pretty bare back in those days. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I would do the same. Um, okay. So if you could be a pro athlete, what sport would you play? Ooh. Mm. Uh, golf is pretty uh, uh, attractive. I'm not even a golfer, but like, you know, we're talking about pro athletes, like they get paid a lot of money. Uh, you get to travel the world. It's an individual game. I I'm kind of a team guy, like in real life, but if you're just saying I can play a professional sport, it's pretty appealing to like be able to set my own schedule and be my own, be my own man and make a bunch of money just traveling around the world and Florida and California and playing some beautiful courses. That's probably... That'd be a good way to go. But as far as team sports, uh, you know, NBA players make a load of money and uh, they play uh, a game that's not nearly as bad on, on their bodies as football. So that's a pretty good way to go as well. And in a lot of situations, you don't even have to be that good and you'll still make a lot of money. Yeah. No uh, yeah. Dan Miller also picked golf, which was interesting. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe everybody's going to win. smart guy. So I, yeah, I'll, I'll take this. I'm a smart guy. Uh, Okay, we got three more questions left. This one here, this could get pretty contentious. What what's your go-to pizza topping? Mm. I mean, I can be basic sometimes when it comes to my pizza. I, I think and like you know, pepperoni is kind of my go-to. Uh, but I really do like I I, I really like um, you know, uh pizzas that have like feta and basil and olive oil and stuff like that too. But that's not like my go-to. That's like if I'm feeling fancy, you know, like if I'm just getting a pizza from a spot here in West Village, I, I just get like either a Supreme or a pepperoni. Whatever, whatever, no pineapple. No pineapple, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. All right, yeah, good. All right, then you, welcome to Team Mike. Uh, okay, Nike or Adidas? 
I like Adidas. Nike's fine, but uh, Adidas, uh, I, I like the look. It's uh, I like the old school look. I like what they're doing now with a lot of like the streetwear. Um, I, I actually own a lot of Adidas stuff. I like what they're doing. Sure. All right. Now, this is this is the one, Kyle. This is the question that really I devised this whole lightning round for. I mean, I put this whole podcast together to ask people this question, really. Are, are quarterback wins real? Well, they exist. Uh, and they exist in the way that, uh, you know, quarterbacks are judged by them fairly or not. And we, nobody knows that more than Lions fans because you have the best quarterback in the history of this franchise playing for you in the moment. And half the fan base uh, has a complicated relationship with them at best. And a lot of people hate him and unfairly so. I think he's a really talented player. Um, but he also plays for an organization. I mean, look what this organization was when he came here. Uh, look at the number of like defensive coordinators and, and shitty defensives that, that have been complimenting him. Look at last year. This guy put up MVP-like numbers. He took Matt Patrick Mahomes, the, the MVP, to the wire. Like, like he did superhuman things in the first half of last year, put a football between four guys against Kansas City for a touchdown. His numbers were MVP like at the halfway point. And the Lions were below 500 because their defense was on pace for like the worst in franchise history. Uh, so to answer your question, quarterback wins are real because quarterbacks are judged by these things fairly or not. I don't think Tom Brady is the most like talented quarterback of all time, but I think he'll go down as the greatest quarterback of all time because of the things that he did things that he won. Um, but do I think, you know, do I think looking at a quarterback's record, uh, you can judge anything about how good they are? No. Like, I, I think you could look at any quarterback record ever and not be able to tell anything beyond how good were the teams that he were on. Um, because you put Tom Brady in Detroit, I don't think he has any kind of success. You put Matt Stafford with Bill Belichick, and I've had this discussion before in the press room. Like, how many Super Bowls do you win? You know, uh, like, I think, you know, it's uh, it's, it's multiple for sure. You know, there's not yeah. some secret ingredient necessarily um, there. But, yeah. I, now, I, I see what you're saying, and, and that makes total sense. And obviously, you know, the, the big thing that everybody will say is that the quarterback is, is the most important position on the team and it, it is it, it certainly is but i think i think for me the sticking point is always like i look at like blake bortles you know on the jags a couple of years ago in the playoffs the guy throws like 130 yards or something the defense takes over the game saxonville they they score a couple touchdowns themselves leonard fournette has a good game but but who gets the win it always goes to it goes to blake bortles but even though he didn't do anything and, and like that's the that for me that's the sticking point. That's where it gets really hard for me. Or last year with Derrick Henry running for you know two hundred uh, you know some odd yards, and uh, Ryan Tannehill didn't really do anything. But the story was Ryan Tannehill and his resurgence and all this and that. And I just I I it's it's a real. I think it's a perception based thing. I think it's we've been sort of trained our whole lives through watching football on TV or watching Hall of Fame ceremonies or whatever, watching movies that the quarterback is is the guy that gets you the wins. When I, I think it's a team. I think it, I think you need an entire team. And I, I think the moment also has to be right as well. I think, you know, I look at that that Giants team that beat the, you know, the undefeated Patriots. It's not, I mean, Eli was was fine during that game, but that defense came alive. Special teams was, was you know, got hot. Everybody got hot at the same time. And I think that's what it really means. I think that's what it takes rather than just a quarterback uh, and a bad team. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on everything you just said. Um, you know, I, like, you know, just to clarify, like, you know, I, I was, you know, quarterbacks are judged by how much they win and lose and ultimately, you know, the, the championships they win. So quarterback wins exists in that framework. I just don't think it, it's a completely meaningless stat line though, um, because talented passers and talented quarterbacks and with crappy teams and vice versa. And we've seen that before. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I, I think that I, I think there's two things here at play. One is that football is by far the most complicated game that we follow. By far. And so it, it can be difficult to discern uh, who messed up or who gets the credit on a particular play. The easiest guy to credit or blame all the time, the, the quarterback every time. Uh, and so fairly or not, these guys do get more credit or more blame every time you see it. Every, I mean, it, 
like I, I wish people could go into the locker room after a Lions win or loss and talk to Matthew Stafford on a Monday. Uh, he's gotten pretty good at this in the past couple of years of having off the record conversations about plays and things that went down. And like the things that you see, even on film, you can slow it down as far as you want. Like you just don't know sometimes the schemes or what they're trying to do. And so uh, you think one thing on game day, you write it a certain way and then you go in the locker room the next day. And I love asking Stafford, you know, what did you see on this pick? What did you see on this down? Like just walk me through it. And he's, awesome at it and it gives you such appreciation for like we you can study this game watch it every single day read as many books as you want whatever like you're, you're going to understand one percent of what they're doing out there um so fairly or not the quarterbacks are getting the blame and the credit for a touchdown or for an interception even if you don't necessarily understand who's blowing an assignment or what kind of coverage they, they slipped into or, or whatever you know and the second thing i wanted to say is that football is by far the most popular sport in this country by far, like you should see the number that, you know, the, the clicks on our stories that we get from Michigan football and Michigan state football and lions, uh, even when they, they're terrible versus other sports, it's infinitesimal, like at, in comparison. Um, and there's this strong interest in everything that happens. And yet Mike, they only play 16 games all year. There's 16 Sundays they play. Uh, there's this tremendous amount of interest in what's happening every single day. Um, and yet they're only playing 16 games. And so it kind of creates like, I, I don't know, I, I always kind of think of it as like a soap opera. Like, of course, the games are being played and that's the most important thing. But like there are storylines that play out over the 12 months that you're tracking with different players and offense and defense and, and, and strengths and weaknesses and so forth. And then it all comes to a head in these 16 Sundays. But it's like a soap opera. And so I think that get swept up in that the narrative of like the quarterback leading the team to a big victory or the quarterback who uh you know got beat by Mitchell Trubisky on opening day um you know when his his receiver dropped the pass like um these are the narratives that play out when you uh, you have so much interest in this game and yet so little actual time that they're on the field yeah no I I mean that that's perfectly said Kyle I I, I totally agree with everything you said um yeah, that's great. No, I'm, I'm I'm glad you put it that way, and I think that that'll help explain things to to you know the listener and the people who just kind of watch the game rather than have to obsess about it like we do. But yeah, um, well, I you know I want to thank you for for coming on today. I know you got a busy day. I know you got a busy schedule, and and I, I really appreciate you uh, carving some time out for us. And uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, again, thank you, thank you for coming on. No, I'm honored that you had me on. I, I appreciate it. And like I said, I love I love Lions fans and the culture around us. So being able to, you know, talk to the blogs and stuff. I, I really enjoy it and uh, love what you guys do at Pride of Detroit. You guys do awesome work. And I'm a, I'm a regular reader. So uh, keep it up. Oh, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I'm getting eight hours of sleep tonight. That's pretty great. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's an uncommon that's thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's an uncommon thing for me at this time of year. Uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I mean, obviously we've got a lot of stuff going on with the defensive backfield going into a game against Aaron Rodgers. So we'll have some of that stuff coming down the pipe based on what we see in practice this week, I guess. No, I'm not working on any features or anything that'll drop this week if that's what you're getting at. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Kyle, for joining us. And uh, thank you for everybody uh, listening again this week. And we'll we'll see you next week. 